Excellent. All right. So, is it the 17th? I am bewitched, bothered, and bewildered by a Mobius strip kaleidoscope of travel that had me leaving Sao Paulo, Brazil, yesterday evening just after dinner and arriving home. Now, I guess 20 hours or so, 20, 22 hours later. Nothing too horrendous, just lots of lineups and a big delay in Detroit. A couple of hours uh, delay in the plane from Detroit and then massive lineups in Toronto and so on. So, And then, of course, slow traffic. And uh, I'm happy to be home. It was a great uh, and I think highly productive trip. It was wonderful to meet uh, all of these uh, great and amazing libertarians in Brazil. Uh, Brazil may well be the future of the libertarian movement, I think. <laughs> it is really... Uh, I think that what libertarianism has really needed for quite a long time is salsa-enabled hips. It's not something that I, in particular, bring to the table, but it is in abundance down there. And uh, we managed to uh, uh, throw in a day trip to Rio. Uh, and um, it is wonderful to be in a country where my butt no longer stands out. Uh, that, to me, was the essence of the trip. I had uh, a great speech, uh, I think, um, if I do say so myself. Uh, I gave a speech at their ideas and movements of ideas, and it was uh, to a bunch of politicians and uh, academics and other interested parties. So that was very exciting. Nothing more exciting than making the taxation is theft case to a bunch of politicians, but something that needs to be said. And then I had a very engaging and actually very enjoyable debate with uh, one of the leading Brazilian socialist intellectuals. <laughs> I think if you say Brazilian intellectuals, for the most part, socialist is taken for granted. But we had a couple of hours of debate um, for which, eh, tragically and not too surprisingly, he was quite um, unprepared in terms of research on the position that he was going to be debating. Uh, the, 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 the context or the, the theme was the role of the state in society. And uh, I approached it, I hope, with my usual rigor, defining all of the necessary terms, putting the argument together. And then he basically said, well, Thatcher and Reagan weren't great. And we went from there. But, I, you know, to his credit, uh, this fellow, he did seem actually quite curious. The second half of the debate was him peppering me with questions about how the voluntary society, how the peaceful society, how the non-aggression principle society works. And uh, I resisted making jokes about naps, uh, NAPs and siestas, uh, because, of course, they don't have siestas in Brazil. And uh, met some wonderful friends down there, a, a real pleasure. Uh, was shown around, had some great dinners, great conversations about the libertarian movement, great conversations about possibilities. And I'm also extremely thrilled to, to say that the Portuguese-Brazilian translation of Everyday Anarchy is complete, and I will post a link to it on this video slash audio. So I will go into more details about the trip as a whole. I just wanted to mention uh, that it was a real pleasure. And of course, before that, I was in uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, where I was speaking and doing some moderating at the Texas Libertarian Party gathering, which was quite exciting uh, and um, it was a lot of fun. So I'll go into more details about that later. But this is, of course, a call-in show. So enough of my rambling. Uh, Jim James, we have a caller. We have a handful. Uh, up first, Manuel. Give me. Oh wait, give me the one that's the middle finger, first. I guess that if would it's... be Manuel, actually. All oh, right, that sounds about right. Hello. Hello. Hello, Steph. Can you hear me? I can. I can. This is amazing. How are you doing? Uh, I'm very well. A little tired. 
but not too bad. And you have... Uh, um, well, my... I was going to ask you a question. Uh, have you had a chance to visit our community in Reddit called Against All Archons already? I have not. I would love to invite you there and uh, have you post uh, your material, your videos, your interviews and everything there. Because we have a significant, uh, significant percentage of people who actually enjoy a lot of what you do. We started this community to be uh, specifically about anarchy applied universally, including to children, as after, I, you know, unfortunately I discovered that in the previous community, in the anarcho-capitalist community that we had before, there was a large number of people who were in favor of child abuse. Of course, they would call it spanking, right? And yes, so, I, had, uh, I just had this very debate uh, in, in Texas uh, for, for quite an energetic uh, amount of time at a social gathering and uh, yeah it is it is it is a very fascinating thing to see i think we have some understanding of why that is but it really is fascinating to see the degree to which libertarians will classify spanking as a non-violation of the non-aggression principle but uh, sorry go ahead yep, that's correct i'd have people who would in, even engage in backwards reasoning saying that the nap couldn't possibly be applied to children because that would mean that every parent would be an aggressor to their child and then therefore the nap would <laughs> not be every parent <laughs> not right. every parent just those who aggress yeah those who aggress against their child and the argument i hear back is well you can't reason with children and of course um you can't reason with most adults that doesn't mean we get to hit them and of course the reason that you can't reason with children is because you hit them right it's 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 the cause and effect is backwards right people say well i i have to hit my children because they don't listen to reason and it's like no 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 <laughs> they don't listen to reason because you're hitting them and uh it's something that people you know it's like i uh, i have to beat my wife because she keeps wanting to leave me it's like no 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 <laughs> she wants to leave you because you're beating her anyway sorry go ahead Correct. It's uh, the uh, cart before the, the uh, horse logic, and I've always yeah. found it amu amusing. Um, I've always had a particular... I'm sorry, the, the, I just wanted to mention too, as I pointed out in Texas, that we libertarians have the least excuse for this cart before the horse, right? Because, because we, say, we say, well, the, on the only reason the government builds the roads is because it taxes and has a monopoly. Right, whereas other people say, well, if the government wasn't there, the roads would not be built. And we, we are very good at reversing other people's erroneous cause and effect. Uh, but, of course, we need to do that with our own lives even more so. But, sorry, go ahead. Kind of interesting, right? So, uh, I'm always uh, interested in trying to find a way or an explanation or uh, not a justification, but a, a more understanding, more of an understanding of why people attempt to you know, square this unsquareable circle, right? Uh, so right. I was going to recommend to you, I've been, I've been reading a book, I, I've been reading a book again, a book that I read quite a few years ago, before I even was introduced to Freedom Main Radio, if I recall correctly. It's a book called The Authoritarians, and it's a book that is from a renowned uh, psychologist that explores the problem of authoritarianism and of social dominance, and apparently they complement each other very well, and it has amazing insight in the personality profiles and the rational abilities of people who are authoritarians. He basically calls everybody who is willing to follow authorities and uh, doesn't actually think about the implications of their own beliefs, and finally who have a propensity to be very, very aggressive against anybody who doesn't follow their authorities, 
he calls them authoritarians. I would highly recommend that you read that book. It's actually called The Authoritarians, and you can find it at that. Uh, I think it's uh, theauthoritarians.com. You can probably find it there. I would love Thank if you, you, appreciate you that. don't have a show about it, because I'm pretty sure that the, books, the book itself is going to blow your mind as an explanation for how do you... I mean, as an explanation for how we, in our society, we see so many people that uh, have that, you know, that tendency towards aggression. Though it doesn't actually go too much into root causes, it does have a lot of scientific fact behind it. Right, right. No, and it's useful. And and um, for those who are making the case uh, for peaceful parenting and so on, I think that the two questions that I found helpful to ask, and more recently, this is the ones that I asked. Uh, of the people I was debating with in uh, in Texas, uh, the first, of course, is uh, were you spanked as a child, right? I mean, because because we all understand that if you were spanked as a child, it's going to be harder for you to be objective about spanking, obviously, right? Yes. Right. So it's like if if you're debating a uh, someone about who should build the roads, right? And it turns out that they're a contractor profiting from the government road contracts. And you say, well, these should be private. Then, of course, he's going to mean he's got a conflict of interest when it comes to the debate. And a conflict of interest doesn't mean that you're wrong. It, you know, it just means that this is something to be aware of. Uh, or if you're arguing for privatizing schools and you're talking to someone who's high up in the education ministry or whatever, uh, then they have a conflict of interest, uh, which which they need to admit to ahead of time. And if if they're not willing to admit to it, then either they don't know that there's a conflict of interest, which means that they don't know how to tie their shoes and, you know, they have their pajama bottoms on their heads and, you know, a thong stretched between their shoulder blades and they're really not going to be much use to anyone. Or they know that there's a conflict of interest, but they won't admit to it, in which case this is not an honest way to uh, uh, to debate. So the first thing is, is that, well, were you spanked? Or, you know, how were you raised? How were you disciplined? Uh, and the answer you want to hear is, what do you mean? I was never disciplined. What a silly thing to say. I mean, <laughs> it's like saying, you know, how do you discipline your wife? Well, you, you don't, basically. That uh, so that's, correct. yeah, that's the first question is, is where, where you spanked? And then the second question is, uh, what do you know about early childhood development? And of course, you don't have to be a professional. I certainly am uh, not. So you don't have to have a PhD in, in childhood studies. You don't have to be a psychologist. But you do have to know a little bit about, about the basics. Uh, so, you know, it, 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 this is something I've done where somebody says, well, government has to run education. And I can say, well, what do you know about the history of education? And if they don't know anything about the history of education and they work for the government, then they can be dismissed out of hand as simply not, not being objective, not being honest and not being knowledgeable. And so, yeah, I asked if people were spanked. And of course, they said they were and that this was something that was good for them and so on. Right. So obviously had not processed or anything. And then you ask them, well... You say that children must be spanked because they're not rational, and w what research have you done to verify this? You know, because we don't like it. We don't like the lazy thinkers in the non-libertarian world who say, well, government has to build the roads. Well, do you know anything about it? Have you studied it? Do you know anything about the history? Do you know anything about the alternatives or the ethics? No, but I'm absolutely sure that the government has to build the roads. I'm absolutely sure the government has to provide education. Without welfare, the poor people will starve in the streets and blah, blah, blah. I mean, this is, right? So we don't like those kinds of people. So let's not be those kinds of people when it comes to these uh, absolutely much more important topics than who build the roads, which is who builds the children. <laughs> much more important uh, a, a topic. So let's not be the kind of people who we roll our eyes at. Let's get educated. Uh, let's look at the conflict of interest in our own history. And let's get educated about how children develop, 
and what uh, the child's mind is, is capable of. And then, uh, and only then, can we really come to a conclusion. Otherwise, we're simply bouncing off propaganda, and we might as well be someone spouting back all the, all the nonsensical rubbish people get fed in public school without ever doing any research or studying it. So let's just not be that which we hold in contempt. I think that's pretty, pretty important. I agree with you. Uh, that's actually very, very good insight. Uh, but many people, perhaps even including me in the past, haven't actually looked at it that way, right? Uh, I didn't know that I was wronged when I was a kid, and I couldn't quite put the finger on why that's wrong. That was wrong, right? Until I actually discovered the liberty movement and started applying these ideas to me. In a very, uh, how do you say this? In a very uh, personal and not scientific way. And it's only when, you know, the uh, scientific evidence appears that everything begins to make sense. And you go like, ah, so that's why it was wrong, right? Which is a, a big eye-opener, right? For me, at least. Uh, I would also like to uh, point out that uh, in the book that I, I was talking to you about, there's a, a significant amount of information on that part of authoritarianism, which is very is not very much discussed. Which is, uh, I'm sure that you're aware you're aware of uh, people's tendency to perceive authority as being right and having good intentions, and uh, to excuse their behavior with you know the traditional few bad apples, uh, <laughs> irrational technology, as I'd like to refer to it. And mm -hmm. uh, the book actually goes into the other side of the equation, which is explaining why the social dominants, the people who are in charge, in power, the people who strive for power, that those guys that you have said in the past are the guys who will be drawn to power because they'll be they'll you know they'll be more successful at dominating people if they have this power that is completely confirmed by the research completely confirmed and there's a psychological profile of the ethic the ethics of the people who are like this which uh, allows me to say without the shadow of doubt without being afraid of being wrong that most every politician is actually a complete scumbag and a liar and a social dominant uh, when you read mm -hmm. that chapter, you're just going to go, oh, my God. And so we've known this for a, a decade now, and nobody knows it. Nobody knows about it. This should be more known, right? Yeah, I mean, how many uh, politicians have gone through therapy? You know, the, the, the <laughs> we obviously need wise people. If, if we were to even consider having a political system, we would need the wisest people. And wisdom, as we all know from Socrates' first commandment, know thyself. Wisdom means that you first have to learn about yourself before you make proclamations about the world so you can avoid the problems of projection and repression and defensiveness and so on. And how many, uh, how many politicians exhibit significant degrees of self-knowledge? Uh, well, uh, none, right? <laughs> I mean, none. None of them uh, that I've ever seen have gone through therapy, can, can write wisely about themselves, are honest about their own defensiveness and shortcomings, and um, uh, of course, right? Because if, if, you, uh, if you know yourself, then you know the barriers to truth, uh, you are humble, and humility is the opposite of people who think they can run the world. Uh, so yeah, I, I complete, they're completely blind, uh, broken power seekers uh, and a true virus on the, uh, uh, in the veins of mankind. Um, you're right, you know, uh, though I'm not so sure if uh, these people that we're talking about right now don't actually know themselves, or maybe if they know themselves, they have only a partial understanding, because they, there's a scale, right, it's called the, e, the exploitive mad scale, and this is a 
uh, psychological tests that they're administered. They're administered as in, you know, anonymously in this college mm -hmm. where the, the research was, uh, well, this actually has been replicated everywhere. So this is administered anonymously. And anonymously, these people will actually admit openly to things like, for example, uh, you know that most people are out to screw you, so you have to get them first when you get the chance. Or, for example, there is really no such thing as right and wrong. It all boils down to what you can get away with. Or, one of the most useful skills a person should develop is how to look someone else straight in the eye and lie convincingly. So, these are sure. beliefs that are strongly held, and they're aware that they're, they, 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 hold it, they, they hold these beliefs. Maybe they don't know the reason no, that, that's, you know, knowing, knowing yourself, look, I mean, a killer may anonymously say, I killed someone. Mm -hmm. That's not the same as having self-knowledge. I mean, that's like that's saying, I have a mole on my leg, and that makes me a dermatologist. Well, I can say that I have a mole <laughs> on my leg, but that doesn't make me a dermatologist, right? I mean, you yeah. really need true self-knowledge, which is, why do I hold these beliefs? What was the template? Uh, and, I mean, if, once you have self-knowledge, I mean, you realize, and it's, it's, it's so invisible to people who don't know themselves, and it's so obvious to people who do know themselves. I mean, w yeah. the paradigm of the state is, well, the citizens are bad, and so they need the government to control their badness, right? I mean, this is the basic, right? So if, if there's no welfare state, people are just going to step over the poor and, you know, pee on their eyeballs and, and not give a damn about them. So people are bad, and we need the government to to keep them from to keep them good and to make sure they do the right thing and, and, and they, but they don't want to do the right thing you have to be forced to do the right thing well that's yeah. exactly the same as as the people i was talking to last week who say uh, children are irrational they don't listen and so you need to spank them to make them better it, it, it's exactly the same as adam and eve they bit that damn apple and so they have to be cursed with childbirth and labor and death uh, it, 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 it is all the same thing. No, nobody's talking about the state in any objective way. They're talking about their family. They are. And until, until people understand this and talk about what's really going on, what's really going on, uh, you know, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It's like that old story where a guy is, uh, comes out of a bar and he sees a drunk guy looking under a lamppost. Uh, for and he says, "What are you doing?" He's like, "The guys looking around." He says, "Oh, I dropped my keys." So the guy sits down, and helps him. They look around for like five or ten minutes, can't find the keys. And he's like, "Man, I, I don't know where they've gone. I mean, this <laughs> I can't find them. I don't know how to help you. Where did you did you drop them? Like, where did you drop them exactly?" He's like, "Oh, I I dropped them like a block from here." And he's like, "Well, why the hell are you looking here?" It's like, "Well, there's no light over there. <laughs> the, the lamppost is here." Right, so you're just looking at the wrong place for the for the wrong solutions. Uh, That's it, 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 it just it's 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 ludicrous to to see this uh, when you when you look at how people talk about the state and the use of violence in society, it is exactly the same down to the last conceivable detail. It is exactly the same, and libertarians are exactly in relation to the state as those of us into peaceful parenting are with aggression within the home. You don't, you don't know what you think you know. Well, These dysfunctions are the result of violence. They are not the justification for violence. Everything you're doing is an ex post facto justification for a violent system that nobody chose. Uh, it, it is all exactly the same as the, uh, the, 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 those of us who are trying to promote non-aggression within the family. It is directly analogous to uh, down to the last detail of libertarians who are promoting the non-aggression principle. In, if you, uh, sorry, go if ahead. If you would allow me the precision, I would 
say that definitely not all libertarians I've had the pleasure to know and we're forming a group of libertarians that are explicitly against this kind of thing and uh, they accept this and they just find it equally baffling that if anybody would just uh, use statist arguments to defend the beating of children, right? So I, I find there's a lot of people who are just basically on their own or through the exposure to interesting and obviously true arguments they have come to the conclusion that if libertarianism is going to be, it is going to be for everybody. It's not just going to be for men, it's not just going to be for a certain ethnicity, it's not just going to be for a certain age group, it's going to be for everybody. Yes, and the priority is children first. Children first. There's nothing that you could do in society that you don't include in children first. Everything that you try to do in society, every fundamental you train, you try to make in society will never work until you start in your own home, in your own life, and particularly with children. Uh, Correct. It is, uh, you know, if, if you want everyone to start speaking Esperanto, I guess you could try and convince everyone who's an adult to spend five or ten years learning Esperanto, but what you would want to do most, uh, first and foremost is teach Esperanto to your children. I mean, so this is, this is just kind of fundamental. And in, to my mind, libertarians who are opposing the state but avoiding the family are expressing in an unconscious way um, hostility towards their own upbringings, but they're using the state as a safer stand-in and event for that, which is why when you actually bring the topic to that which is which has actually occurred for them and that which it's is actually about. vivid for them, uh, they, they just short-circuit out of the conversation because it's a stand-in for complaints against parents. In my opinion, again, this is not all libertarians, and this is certainly, you know, I'm not even sure what percentage of it is, but I'm not, I don't think it's inconsequential. You know what, what you, what you say uh, goes even to the most basic uh, beliefs in, a belief in, in belief systems. Uh, I mean, before I actually start exploring why, I wouldn't be able to understand, for example, when I have a conversation with somebody who uh, claims to be an anarcho-communist or something, and is completely against property, I would never understand why would they hold such contradictory beliefs that seem so all over the place and arbitrary and abstract and uh, completely disconnected from reality, right? And and why would they support the use of violence while at the same time claiming that they wouldn't support the use of violence and they think that property is violence and things like that? It's just absurd, right? And and now it's, sorry, I know it's not a, it's not absurd from the point of view of an infant. Right, because for an infant, there is no I and thou. There is no me and you. There is no mine and yours. To the infant, the breast, the mother's breast, the nutritional source uh, is indistinguishable from his own body. That's correct, yes. And that so the, the oneness, yeah, the oneness, the idea that people want to get together and live in communes with no property and they're all going to raise their children collectively and communally, this to me, again, this is just a, this is the first place I would look. It's not the only place, but it's like, okay, what was your infancy like? And my guess is that the merging, the union, uh, of which you then separate later, did not occur. Uh, emotionally unavailable caregiver or, or no caregiver or uh, adoption or, or problems, a disrupted bond. And then they have this yearning and, and property feels like a violation because they've never experienced the union out of which individuality, separateness, selfhood, self-ownership and property grows out of. So because they missed that step, they, they can't see uh, that the value of property because they're missing a fundamental development stage that is so early that it's very hard to make that conscious. I agree. Um, I would like to suggest a different uh, theory that I, not to say that you're wrong, I think that uh, it's actually quite an insight. Uh, I would like to suggest uh, a different idea I came up with a few months ago, well, actually no, a few years ago, and it's the idea that uh, if you see a person, right, who is advocating for 
communal ownership and he wants you punished because you have more stuff than he does, it is quite probable and quite likely that in his childhood, and you can see this, you know, in public school all the time, right? And so it's not something that just happens in the family too. It also happens in public school. It is quite likely that the person was told, you know, you need to share and things like that. And then when, when you know, the person as a child said, I don't really want to share right now, and this is really mine, uh, and he attempted to enforce or assert his property rights, or basically, you know, property rules, he was punished. And then this created uh, some sort of split in, in their minds where it's okay if the authority steals stuff from you, uh, to assert property bad. rights is is immoral. Yeah, but the, but the but the 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 um the authority figure can assert and violate your property, and that's good. But for you to assert your property rights is bad, and that's a, yeah, that's the root of taxation. Right? Yep. I think it's, it's also important to remember, since the body is the root of of property, um, and of course, I mean, just to to look at the the sexual violation of children, which is one of the I mean, one of the most ultimate violations, if not the worst violation of personhood is a sexual violation and that's incredibly common just discouragingly depressingly common in society and so for somebody who's had their personhood violated uh, whether it's sexually or or through physical abuse or even through extended and and powerful verbal abuse how can they be expected to have an objective philosophical rational view of property if their personhood which is the foundation of property rights has been repeatedly violated by an authority figure that they probably Stockholm syndrome with and, and have had to try and find some way to bond with you just can't expect people to be objective without a huge amount of self-knowledge about these kinds of topics which is why these conversations just go off the rails so much because it's never about what it seems to be about I agree I have a question for you all right and sorry uh, let's just make it quick because I want to make sure we get on to the other callers Yes, uh, finally, I would actually, I've encountered a lot of resistance in people uh, trying to spread my ideas, and uh, I encountered something that I would dare say is systematic uh, uh, antagonism against uh, FDR and uh, people coming out and trying to prove that nothing good can come from FDR because FDR uh, is suspect or something. What's the best strategy yeah, yeah. to deal with that? I mean, suspect is is not an argument. You know, oh, I mean, I, it, it I just agree, comes. Yes. It, yeah, it just comes. Suspect is not an argument. Uh, look, obviously, there's you know this this where, where philosophy becomes actionable, it becomes highly controversial. And if you genuinely do good uh, in your relationships, you hope that you're going to sweep people into the good that you're doing. Obviously. But there are some people who don't want to be swept into the good. And so, if you do good and people remain committed to bad then the bad people suffer of course right i mean yes. if if you uh, if you if you have if you take um, penicillin then the bacteria suffer right so if if you do good in the world then it comes at the expense of bad people i mean and we all i mean as libertarians we all understand that completely and totally i mean if you get rid of sugar tariffs that is at the expense of the current that the people who are currently profiting from sugar tariffs that's true right if if you introduce uh, now divorce is moral and legal then the abusive husbands and, and wives, but you know, at the beginning, I think it was more the husbands. But if you if you introduce voluntarism into the marriage, then the abusive husbands are probably going to suffer. Now, the husbands who change their ways, who woo their wives, who you know respond positively to that voluntarism, uh, you know, hopefully their relationships can be much better than if this had never occurred. But when you introduce voluntarism, when you introduce virtue, 
mm-hmm. it is going to come at a huge cost for a lot of people. And the funny thing is, of course, that libertarians, I think, can sometimes be a bit cavalier. A lot, oh, you know, let's let's just get rid of the tariffs and the taxes. And this, of course, is going to throw millions of people out of work, and it's going to harm the financial interests of huge numbers of people. Uh, if you privatize the Fed, I mean, truly privatize it, in other words, not just sort of state cartel thing, but if you privatize currency, uh, then there is going to be a massive wrenching, monstrous change in the economy, and hundreds of millions of people are going to lose out, and, you know, over the long run. So we know that when we do good, bad people are going to suffer. And yet bad people don't want to say, I'm suffering because someone's doing a good thing. Nobody, nobody wants to say, I'm suffering because I was profiting from evil. Right? So the sugar producers aren't going to say, well, I'm going to lobby to get my sugar tariffs back because I'm too damn lazy and corrupt to compete. And I would rather work my political mojo than compete in the free market. Nobody says that, right? Yeah. They're not going to admit to being evil, right? They, the, the thing, yeah, the they're not going to admit driver to being evil. The single biggest driver in their behavior is, well, they're not in the behavior, in their public image is to, to try and appear as evil, uh, sorry, as noble and good and, and uh, generous and everything. Yeah, so, associated with so virtue, when, right? when, yeah, when the expansion of virtue threatens the interests of evil people and they don't want to not be evil, then they slander. I mean, this is, I mean, do you remember when Ron Paul started doing really well? What happened? They just called him a racist. It's not an argument. I mean, read anything to do with Ayn Rand. You never hear an intelligent rebuttal or analysis of her arguments. No. You just hear all of this, you know, yellow stream of, of, of uh, you know, horrible language and slander, and, and it's just it's verbal abuse, right? And so you know you're doing good in the world when bad people don't like you. I mean, that seems to me, I don't, I don't know any other way to measure it. I mean, obviously it's great if good people, but, but good people cannot become better without harming the interests of bad people. I mean, I don't, I don't know how that can happen. I, I, I can't imagine how that could conceivably happen. Congressmen really like power. They like having power over other people. I mean, Obama wants another term. He loves this power. And if you got rid of the state, these people's interests would be hugely, hugely harmed. So I don't know how to do good in the world or promote virtue in the world without harming the interests of evil people. And it's not because I want to harm the interests of evil people. It's just you can't build a statue without making a shadow. I just don't see how that's possible. So, um, yeah, I mean, if people are yelling and bitching about a free domain radio, if they don't have an argument, it's pretty clear what their motive is that, uh, I mean, the more angry they are, my guess would be, the more likely somebody has improved in virtue in their life and they are enraged by that and that obviously has nothing to do fundamentally with free domain radio it's just that they faced a fork in their life and they faced a choice in their life and they chose a bad path and because they won't accept responsibility for that they're going to just rage against the show but you know i always come back to tell me how i'm wrong people can go i've been running a call-in show for five years <laughs> hours you know i don't think i've ever said no to a listen to conversation where it's at all possible or in a topic that, that even fits roughly within the bounds of the show. So, you know, I'm open, I'm available, I'm happy to be corrected and, and criticized. But people who just mutter slander, uh, who just libel and, and smear, I mean, this is, to anybody with any eyes to see, this is so, this is such a confession of impotent malice that it's not worth engaging. I mean, to my mind, it's, it's just not worth engaging in. Uh, if, uh, if, if the expansion of virtue harms your interests, I think that tells pretty people pretty clearly where you are on the moral spectrum. I agree. 
That's true. Well, I really do uh, want to thank you for your time today, and I hope the rest of the show is going to be as interesting as this conversation was to me. Uh, thank you. They great usually questions. are, by the way. And uh, thank you. I also would like to say, uh, have a great weekend. Thank you so much. All righty, eighty eighty. Adding a phone caller for you. This is Todd. When he when he picks up. Hello. Hello, FTR Pizza. Hello, FTR Pizza. You order pizza? You order some pie? Oh, hi, it's Steph from Freedom Main Radio. How are you doing? Pizza? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm a little hungry. Uh, this is what came uh -oh. to mind. But uh, you had a question or a comment? I did, Stefan. Um, from my understanding throughout history, uh, whenever political change has occurred, it always has been 3% of the population or less that caused the change. And uh, I know you've not completed your book, Achieving Anarchism, yet. But I was wondering if you could give any insight as to how this could either be achieved with 3% or less of the population or how we could get more than 3% of the population to participate. Well, I mean, I don't believe that we should focus on collective action. I think that we should focus. We can't. You can't control what other people are going to do. And the interests uh, of people who are profiting from the existing system, both the rich, the poor, and the middle class, and those who are seeking power, uh, I mean, they're too, too concentrated, right? The, 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 the benefits are too concentrated and immediate, and the benefits, sorry, yeah, the, the, the costs to the general population are too diffuse, the benefits are too immediate, uh, and, and the, the benefits to the general population, if we have a free society, are, you know, 20 years down the road or 10 years down the road and um, very diffuse and unmeasurable to any particular cause, whereas, you know, the cost to people who profit from an evil system are so immediate. So I don't think we can aim for collective action. I do believe that history is the will of the individual. I think that there are choices that individuals can make that fundamentally affect the flow of history. I'm not a big one for historical movements or, uh, you know, the guns, germs, and steel arguments and so on. I think that... Um, it really comes down to the choices and the willpower of, uh, of individuals. And uh, so I think that's what we focus on. You know, we focus on living a moral life as, as best and, and with as much integrity as we can stomach. And we put our principles into action. And, you know, I think that it is, it, that's all we can do. We can live virtuously, we can be honest and open about the effects of living virtuously, we can urge other people to live virtuously, we can choose not to associate with people who are committed to the use of violence against us, and that I think is the best we can do. Whatever effect that has in the long run in society is beyond our control, because everyone has a choice. Everyone has a choice. We have a choice to act morally. Other people have a choice to look at our acting morally and can choose whether they're going to join virtue or oppose it. There's really nothing in between. And uh, I, I don't pretend to control that choice in other people. I do not pretend to control that choice. I can be as hopefully convincing as possible and urge people that I think that with few exceptions, it's never too late to try and do the right thing. It's never too late to turn around, to try and repair broken relationships, to reject propaganda, to overcome anger and hatred and self-contempt, 
for doing wrong. I think that there's an enormous amount that people can do to repair and restore relationships. And every moment that you're not doing that is a choice. And it's a choice that you can make differently. You can go to therapy. You can pursue self-knowledge. You can really understand the roots of your own dysfunction. That choice is available to everyone. So I don't think there's any magic pill. I'm not saying you think there is, but I don't think there's any magic pill. You simply try to do the right thing as consistently as possible, and you urge other people to do the right thing as consistently as possible. You urge them to live publicly the values that they all accept privately. And after that, it is up to the choice of each individual, and it's out of your hands. Does that does that make any sense? It does make sense. Um, I was just thinking about an earlier video I have watched of yours. It mentioned something about um, you can't use the state to control the state because it just keeps getting bigger if you try to do that. I was just wondering, you know, what would uh, a good argument be? Um, because people want to see change. They want that magic bullet. What, what would you suggest, you know, for people to basically look into anarchism and, and follow the basic guidelines that are set forth instead of becoming politically active and, and trying to change the 3%, you know? Well, it's, you know, it's the man in the mirror argument. You know, if you want to change the world, look in the mirror and fix your own life. If you want the world to stop smoking, then stop smoking <laughs> first, you know, and, and and then show people that it's much better to not smoke and run a marathon and live longer. And that will, you know, your example will encourage people. And then people who will ask you about it, you can share your uh, your methodology and, and the way to do it. But um, no, it's, you know, it's your own house. You know, we're continually pushing the envelope of peaceful parenting in, in our household. Uh, you know, I think a couple of months ago, we made the commitment uh, to each other, to, to Isabella, that, that she will face no punishments, no negative repercussions for her actions, no punishments. And, I mean, it's not like <laughs> there wasn't a lot of punishments before, you know, maybe once every month or two, but sure. we made that commitment and, and you know, we apologized for even the few punishments that remained. And um, it's been absolutely fantastic. And now we are continuing to push the the envelope and encouraging negotiation rather than manipulation, which, you know, she's three. Uh, that's what happens. And it's our temptation as well. So I simply speak for my wife. It's my temptation as well as a parent. But just continue to push the envelope of what can be achieved peacefully, what can be achieved without punishment. And, and of course, we do this all the time. And we, 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 this is how we're raised. You get what you want. And if you, 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 you try and get what you want, and if you don't get what you want, you punish the other person. Then you punish the other person through uh, withholding of affection, withholding of love, withholding of, of generosity, withholding of time, uh, avoidance, in other words, or through uh, lashing out in one form or another. And this withholding and lashing out is, is kind of what, what we have as, <laughs> as, a, uh, uh, as a template for how we pretend we're solving problems in society. And just keep undoing that. Just keep undoing that in, in your life. Have no punishments with your friends, have no negative repercussions. This doesn't mean that you don't say, I didn't like that, I'd like it to be different. I don't, I'm not saying be spineless, I'm saying, I'm not saying don't communicate your needs. But how about a personal society with no punishments, with no negative repercussions, with no withdrawal? When you feel scared, you get closer. When you're angry, you get closer. When you're disappointed, jealous, upset. When you feel despair, you get closer. You say, I feel despair. I don't know why. I feel angry. I don't know why. 
Let's explore it. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. <laughs> and if you keep expanding that no punishment paradigm in your world, with your children, with your lovers, with your friends, with your spouse, with your parents, no punishment. Sounds well, good. isn't that... Yeah, I mean, is that to me is, is how we change the world. To, to be distracted into trying to change other people is a way of avoiding the challenge of changing yourself, right? So people are desperate for politics because they think that the state is imposed. I, my argument is, is the state profits from our willingness to attack each other. The state profits from the horizontal slave-on-slave -slave violence that it provokes and encourages. And so to stop attacking each other is to undermine the state. It is to undermine the state, but everyone's hoping that they don't have to bring virtue to their personal relationships, that someone's going to bungee in and set them free. And anyone who says, give me money and I will set you free, I will solve your problems, uh, and you won't have to do it yourself, is a liar. Is a liar, a cheat, and a con. I'm not even going to say in my opinion, but... To be free, you must live virtuously in your life. And there's no other way to do it. There is no other way to do it. Anybody who gives you a shortcut is a liar and a cheat and is going to take your money and give you nothing but disappointment. And disappointment leads to despair, and despair leads to evil, to corruption, to compromise. And so, yeah, people, are, I mean, God, wouldn't it be great, rather than me having to sit down and talk with my friends and my family about, about virtue, about what was important to me, about the, 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 the thirst and the love and the desire that I have for a world without the initiation of force. My God, if somebody had been able to come in and just repeal some legislation and make me free, oh, man, wouldn't I be <laughs> a complete horse's ass if I did what I did? And it didn't, I didn't have to do it. But, you know, it's like the science fiction story, story that I read a long time ago where they sent off this ship to go to some Betelgeuse or some star that was pretty far away. And it went so slowly, it took like 5,000 years to get there, you know, many generations and so on. And by the time this spaceship got to Betelgeuse, you know, like 20 years after they pushed the spaceship off, they lost track of it or whatever, but they invented faster than light travel. And they've been zipping around, you know, it, it, you know, 20 minutes it takes to get there. It took 5,000 years. And they were like, dope! <laughs> you know, how, you know, this is the case of the hare and the the tortoise, the, 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 the fairy tale. This is the case where the tortoise was an idiot and because the hare was faster. But I don't believe that that is the case in these situations. Uh, and I think history bears this out. Uh, we live virtuously in our own lives uh, with the, the greatest integrity we can muster with surrendering ourselves to the greater good of ourselves and humanity, taking that which is uncomfortable in our stride, promoting virtue, shunning evil. That's how you do it. That's a slow and steady that wins the race that has never been tried uh, in, in any consistent or, or measured manner. So that's, you know, that's my argument. I think anybody who's going to offer you uh, a shortcut, you know, uh, the, the 10 points of libertarian arguments is going to, how are we going to change the world? No, 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 come on. <laughs> Checking a box 
and giving uh, your uh, ceding your authority to some other person is going to save your world and is going to help you're going to not going to have to have these difficult conversation uh, with with friends and family about virtue and pointing out the gun in the room using the against me argument and giving people the reality of the moral system they buy into no no it is hard and you damn well hope it's going to be hard because if we've been trying to have a virtuous and violence free society for 2500 years or 3000 years and in some ways it seems we're further away from it than ever then it really has to be the very hardest thing that can be imagined. If politics could do it, it would have been done years and years ago. Socrates tried politics. Plato tried politics and was arrested and sold into slavery and almost killed. Aristotle had to flee politicians. Socrates was put to death by them. You could go on and on. If we could do it through politics, it would have been done by now. It has to be the hardest thing that can be imagined that stands between us and a free society, and a virtuous society, and a society without war, and a society without abuse, and a society without debt, without intergenerational enslavement, without prisons, without sadism, without rape. It has to be the hardest thing, the, the, the most unfathomable thing, the thing that makes you want to throw up in your own mouth to even consider doing it. It has to be that hard. Otherwise, it would have been done already. Well, do you think it'll get easier as more people start to understand and uh, start to act on these ideas instead of, I mean, a lot of people think this is, these are great ideas, but actually living these ideas, like you said, that is the hard part. Do you think it might get oh, easier? Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it will get easier. It will get easier. I mean, the fact that I had a debate or that I have debates where the word statism is used is fantastic. Because it means that statism is something that is no longer like oxygen, like the, 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 the water that fish swim in. It actually is a position that can be questioned. I mean, that's astounding. I mean, going, it used to be that talking about a society without a state was like going to a physics conference and suggesting a universe without gravity. <laughs> what are you talking about? There is gravity in the universe, so don't waste your time pretending there isn't. Uh, whereas now, this is something which has, even to a tiny degree, has been open to question. Has been open to question. I mean, I've reached hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, you know, with the cooperation and support of everyone involved in this show, and have got them to, I mean, I get so many emails of people saying, I, I couldn't conceive of it when you first talked about it, and now I can't conceive of anything else. And that change where what is is no longer like physics it is a choice it is no longer inevitable it is a choice it is no longer that which has always been and that which will always be it is no longer grounded in the myth and the lie called human nature it is actually something that is a choice that we can choose and once choice and reason and evidence come into the equation philosophy peace and reason and virtue will always win the only way that philosophy, peace, reason, and virtue lose is if they're not even on the table. The moment that they're at the table, the moment that they're into, they enter into the discussion, well, then they're going to win. Yeah, I, I can understand that. But, um, it seems to get hard to, sometimes to discuss um, virtue and you know philosophy with some people that they, they already think they know, they know how the world works, and I know you can't convince everyone, 
No, absolutely not. And you don't have to. I mean, you, you don't have to. I mean, I've never made the argument that everybody has got to push every relationship they have to the crossroads of good and evil and ditch everyone who, you know, even hesitates before virtue. No, I mean, that's not the case. Now, I have, high, I have a higher need for support than most people because I'm out here on this high-wire act of running the world's biggest philosophy show. So I have a greater need for support than, than most people. And if you, know, if you have uh, a family full of statists and you want to go to family dinner and you don't want to you know, push philosophy, then don't push philosophy. I mean, this, you know, philosophy is all about choice. There's no have-tos. Once it becomes have-tos, then it's physics, not philosophy. Right? It's not philosophy that we have to die. It just is. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to get older. We're going to die at least with the current technology that we have. I don't see that changing anytime soon. And so, so yeah, I mean, you don't have to push anything. I mean, all I, all I suggest or request is be aware of it. Be aware of it. And don't not talk about virtue just out of fear. Or if, if you're going to say, like if you've got some family dinner coming up and you're like, oh, you know, three public school teachers, two tax collectors and an ex- uh, army ranger or whatever, right? I don't want to bring up statism and voluntarism and the non-aggression principle and property rights. I don't want to because it's too terrifying for me because I'm just so scared about what's going to happen. Then that's, to me, that's perfectly fine. I no problem with that. Not, not that anyone should care what, whether I have a problem with it or not. I'm just telling you my personal feeling. Don't do it. Don't do it. All that I ask is you be aware that you're not doing it, and be aware why you're not doing it. That I treasure virtue, and I'm too scared to bring up that which I treasure with these people. That, to me, is perfect philosophy. It's perfect philosophy to simply know what you're doing and to be honest with yourself about your motives. That, to me, is perfect philosophy. Now, if you then want to go out into the world and promote virtue, truth, reason, and evidence in a very public way as I've done, then I believe that you need a very strong support team, right? So if you're just, you know, driving around aimlessly and you get a flat tire, then, you know, you, can, you don't need a, a crack team of mass NASCAR <laughs> pit crews to, to get you back on your feet because you're just driving around a little bit, and that's fine. There's no problem with that. We all do that. But if you are entering into a NASCAR race, then you need a very good pit crew, right? You need people who can change your tires, you know, like the little assistant in the movie Cars, right? You know, in, you're in, you're out. You, if you're going to do a high wire act, then you need a, a lot of support. And so, yeah, if, if you go public and if this has become something that you do, then I think that you need a lot more support. Uh, I mean, for reasons that I think are too obvious to bother going into here. But yeah, if you just, you know, if you, I mean, if you, if you see a kid being hit, you don't have to say anything. Your brother can be spanking his child right in front of you. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to. Because the moment it becomes a have to, it's no longer a choice and it's no longer philosophy. It's a commandment. Commandments are religious, not philosophical. But what philosophy will require is honesty. What philosophy will require is the 
truth. I will not intervene in this situation because I am too scared to do so. Or because I'm afraid I'm going to beat up my brother. Or, or, or. And then you may say later, well, I know my brother did this. I am not going to say anything even later because I know he's going to blow up. I know his wife is going to turn against me. I know I'm never going to see whoever it is again. These, these things are all fine. All the philosophy requires is the truth. It does not require specific action. The moment that specific action is demanded or instructed, you are in the realm of irrational theology. You are not in the realm of philosophy. All philosophy requires is the truth. So I hope I hope that helps. At least that's my uh, that's my argument. And and if, if you consistently find, like let's say everyone in your life, you you can't talk to them about philosophy. You can't talk to them about truth and virtue. It's too scary. It's too upsetting. It's you tried and it just blows up and so on. Then let philosophy go. If you don't want to change your social situations and you can't speak the truth about that which you're passionate about, let philosophy go. It will still be here. There are enough of us here who can pick up the slack. You do not have to march in this army. <laughs> but I think that you cannot productively be in a long-term relationship with someone that is, according to, I'll say your philosophy, though I mean philosophy, somebody who, according to your philosophy, is immoral, I don't know how you can sustain a relationship with that one. So I would either drop the relationship if the relationship cannot be improved or drop the immoral ju the judgment. Drop the judgment. Okay. Uh, and I think that to me is it's it's cruel and it's it's unpleasant and uh, I don't understand. It's, it's cruel and unpleasant to be in a relationship with someone that your philosophy defines as immoral. You know, if, if you've if you say you're against racism and you've got a friend who's in the KKK, you have a problem. And you can choose not to say anything about your friend's membership in the KKK. But if you want to stay, right, philosophy is all about evidence. If you're going to stay friends with the guy who's in the KKK, then recognize empirically that anti-racism is not that important to you. That what you prefer is ease in your relationships, not anti-racism. And that's fine. I don't have a particular problem with that. But then don't pretend to be an anti-racist. That, that's really all, all I say. You know, if you're an anti-Semite and, you know, your second cousin is in the Nazi... Like, sorry, if you're against anti-Semitism and your second cousin is in the Nazi party and you say, well, you know, I... I don't really want to confront him, and that's fine. Then empirically you know that being against anti-Semitism is not that important to you relative to your relationships. That's fine. Then let go of being against anti-Semitism. That's my argument. Live consistently. Live consistently. If empirically you don't want to bring the against me argument into your relationships, you don't want to point out the gun in the room, you don't want to point out the murder-based society that we live in, the initiation of force that is the essence of just about every way we try to organize society and pretend we are. If you don't want to bring that to your relationships, then recognize empirically that your relationships are more important to you than the values that you have. I, I know that sounds like some sort of passive-aggressive criticism. I, I really don't mean it that way. Let go of philosophy and live in your relationships. But don't get stuck in the middle. That's really my basic argument. Sorry if that was too long-winded, but I hope that makes some sense. No, I mean, you made a lot of great points. Um, I just, uh, my whole way of thinking is when I'm 
trying to live my life and follow these, these principles of liberty and virtue, um, you know, I don't live alone. I live in society just like everyone else, and you don't have to convince everyone. You just have to know what the truth is and what's right. Um, it just uh, seems like there's there's got to be some other way to, I don't know. I think of, like, wanting to, like, go off and join some uh, commune or, or, like, Buddhists or something, you know, where you give everything up and you live life, you know, according to their principles. Um, it just doesn't seem like there's enough people, like, I mean, on the internet, there's a lot of people involved in the philosophy discussion, but where I go to day-to-day, and I know there's places to meet up and stuff, it just doesn't seem like very many people are have the same line of thinking, and it's hard to get through to people in general. Yeah, and look, and that is, that's a bitch and a half. I mean, I agree with you. It's a bitch and a half. And of course, without the internet, it would take another thousand years, if we were lucky. If we were lucky. Right. So I agree with you. Philosophy now has the great advantage of the example of science, right, which Socrates didn't have. And it has the example of the success of the free market. And these two things are reason, evidence, and voluntarism. You know, you put those three things together, then you get science and you get the free market. And uh, so philo- philosophy has gotten a huge amount of, of validation, verification from the the success of science and the success of the free market. So yay, you know, good for us. But it's really early. It's very early days. And it's artificially early days because of the internet has come along and screwed up the whole tribal restraint and and fear of ostracism that drives that that really retards so much of, of moral progress. But I'll make a very brief case here as to why I think that ostracism the ostracism of evil is is important. So picture in Germany, like in 1930, or no, no, it's too late, 1926, 1926, 1927. Imagine if everyone who was friends with a Nazi said basically, no, no, I'm not going to associate with you if, if this is your perspective. If this is your, if this is your values, then I am not going to associate with you. What do you think would have happened to the Nazi party? I don't think it would have gotten very far. No, it wouldn't have gotten very far. I, I mean, I can guarantee you it wouldn't have gotten very far. Well, there's a lot of people that don't agree with me on, you know, many different subjects. But Sorry, know, let, me, let me just get back to, let me just finish that, that point, though, right? Okay. But this, is a, this is not you should or you must or anything. I'm just pointing out the cause and effect. So because people didn't ostracize Nazis... And I'm not, please, I understand. I'm not saying every statist is a Nazi. I understand that. I mean, this is, right? But, but just to go back to that example, if everyone had ostracized the Nazis, if everyone had ostracized the communists, there would have been no Nazism and no communism. Or they would have been so quarantined. Isn't this what you do with somebody who's diseased? You quarantine them. And if somebody has a moral disease, that is much more dangerous than a physical disease. And so you quarantine them. And if you do that, you stop the spread. And philosophy recognizes that moral diseases are much more dangerous than physical diseases, and therefore quarantine is an appropriate response. But because people didn't quarantine the communists, 
They did not cease to associate with those who were advocating the use of violence against them. We got communism, which killed hundreds of millions of people. Hundreds of millions of people. This is what you get if you don't quarantine that which is destructive. If you don't quarantine some god-awful airborne virus that makes your head turn into jelly, then hundreds of millions of people will die. This is why people rush to quarantine so quickly. And in the, sp in the spread of immorality in the world, if you don't quarantine, right, it's, <laughs> it's ostracism or war. It's ostracism or death. Now, I don't think that it's, you know, we, we don't have that power yet in society because we're still very rare. The, philosoph the truly philosophical uh, are still very rare. But it still does come down to a choice. I just want to point out that the consequences of not quarantine, quarantining, so to speak, the consequences of continuing to associate with people after their immorality has been explained to them repeatedly, you know, month after month after month, that the cost of continuing to associate with them is not neutral. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like people who say, well, you know, so he's a Nazi, but, you know, that's his thing, uh, but I disagree, but, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> live and let live, right? Well, the problem with uh, immorality is it doesn't say live and let live. Statism certainly doesn't say live and let live. And so I just wanted to, to point that out. And I don't mean, again, I'm not trying to say to people corner everyone, yell UPB and NAP into their ears, and if they don't immediately agree 100%, you kick them to the curb. I'm not saying that at all. There is a process of wooing. There is a process of examples. There is a process of explanation. There is time to adjust. There is, you know, this, it, it is not a quick process to take this band-aid band of propaganda off. And I think patience and positivity is very, very important. The most I couldn't I, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing if a significant number of people in my life rolled their eyes and thought I was crazy. I, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I'm as vulnerable and susceptible to all of that as, as anyone is. I mean, I'm just, just another dude. Right? <laughs> and so uh, it, it would not be possible. And I've made the commitment to this. And I'm certainly... I don't know if people understand just how unbelievably committed I am to what it is that I'm doing, how unbelievably committed I am to spreading philosophy, how unbelievably committed I am to nagging for virtue. I am ferociously, unstoppably, unfathomably, like gravity, committed to this because I know what the consequences are. And I know where society is heading without a significant intervention. It is heading to a night that conceivably, and I think very probably, will not have another dawn because the free market has handed enough technology to governments that they may be unbeatable. So I do believe that it is an urgent race against time. And if ostracizing Nazis can stop a war that kills 40 million people, and surrenders half of Europe into a multi-decade enslavement of communism, well, I think that the social discomfort is worth it. Because you know what's really socially uncomfortable? Bombs. You know, internment camps 
fascism is really socially uncomfortable. And I think, uh, you know, it's like quitting smoking. Yes, it's uncomfortable. You know what's really uncomfortable? Lung cancer. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable. And not, uh, you know, putting down the candy is uncomfortable. But it's still a lot more comfortable than diabetes and heart disease and obesity. So yeah. this is, I mean, this is the case that I make. Again, it's not a have to. I, this, is, this is the perspective that I have. And because I believe that the future is made by the will of individuals, I am willing to add my voice to the chorus of those individuals who are uncompromisingly calling for virtue in society, for us to give up on the historical bullshit of violence, the evil and historical bullshit of violence all the way from spanking to war, which are two sides of the same coin. I am never going to stop. I am never going to stop trying to communicate in as entertaining, engaging, and passionate a method that I can conceive of. I am never going to stop flying <laughs> for 20 hours straight with a three-year-old to tell politicians that what they're doing is immoral. I'm not going to stop doing that. I hope that other people will join in, but that's up to everybody's individual choice. Yeah, I'll tell you but I think it is incredibly heroic to be one of the first over the hill. You know, I think I think that this, the harder it is, the more honor to those who are doing it. So, but anyway, sorry, go ahead. I understand what you mean. It's extremely hard. I've wanted to run away, you know, a lot of times because I've had the idea that, well, you know, I can't change people's minds and I already know what's right, so why don't I just live my life and my principles the way I want to? It just seems like there's so many things in life that you have to interact with other people on, you know, like having a family and, and uh, if you have a job, you know, you have coworkers and, you know, it just seems like this is all affecting you whether you say something to them or not and you want to change things for the better. Um, but sometimes, you know, I, I think that maybe it would be easier just to not have people involved. Like, you, you know, you're saying that you can't, um, you know, if you, if you tell someone they're not seeing what they're doing is immoral and then, you know, you tell them for three months and they still don't get the picture, you pretty much have to dissociate yourself with them. Otherwise you kind of have a moral conundrum. Well, well, again, you don't have to, you don't, you don't have to, again, you got to avoid the have tos, right? But right. but you've got to be clear and honest, and and my suggestion would be then to drop you know, to drop the moral judgment. Okay. But look, I have this I have this belief. I don't know where this is going to go. Traditionally and historically, we know where this goes: the expansion of the state, the the collapse of an economic system. It doesn't generally lead to a freer and better society. Um, but I've always had this this thought. I don't. This, this is just a thought I have, and please, this is no. I don't. Who knows what the hell is going to happen? But I really believe that if I hadn't been so certain in my choices about relationships, let's say I just said, "Oh well, you know, this is kind of my thing." Um, you know, if you think differently, that's okay. That's fine. Uh, but I knew what was coming, of course, historically and philosophically, it's not hard to say. And let's say that my friends and my family were all tossed into internment camps, right? Let's just say, 
FEMA camps or whatever they are, right? Mm -hmm. Do you know what they turn and say to me? They turn and say to me, why the fuck didn't you push us harder? If you knew this was coming, why the fuck didn't you push us harder to, to, to get it? Because now look where we are. You studied this. You had the knowledge. You had the certainty. And you let us just waddle off in our ignorant, pussy-ass way into this fucking camp? Are you kidding me? Why didn't you take us by the neck and wake us the fuck up? Because now we're screwed. And it's too late. You know, you got a friend who's overeating, over smoking, over drinking. And you're like, hey, you know, it's your thing. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to intrude. I want to, you know, I thought you might get mad if I said, you know, what's going on. Tried to help you stop. And then he gets cancer and heart disease, and diabetes. He's like, why the fuck didn't you say more? And I know it's petulant. I get it. But I think this is the clay we're working with. And can you imagine how you'd feel? People say to you, why the fuck didn't you push me more? You knew what was coming. Well, that's a good why didn't you make my dinners a little less pleasant? Because I would have taken a bit of difficulty swallowing my goddamn Brussels sprouts if I didn't end up in this place. And this is a standard Christian argument, right? Why didn't you bug me more about Jesus if you knew I was going to end up in hell? And I'm not saying this is this is not, oh my God, tomorrow, or it may never happen. But this is something that I think of. Because wouldn't you feel like one of the biggest assholes in the world if that's what happened? People said to you, well, now we're in the camp. I get what you're talking about. But why the hell did you only bring it up once every couple of months in a mild way? If you really believed that this is where the expansion of state power leads, oh my God. I've had people get angry with me, telling me, you know, I'm paranoid, everyone's out to get me, but, you know, I still keep on, I just drop it and then bring it up later, maybe uh, to one of their friends, and then kind of get brought into the conversation again, but it's definitely hard to uh, get people to take you seriously. I mean, if you are very serious about it, you know, people will listen to you a lot more, you know, people listen to authoritative people, whether they're right or not, they they look for direction a lot of times. Um, just uh, especially with family, as any salesman will tell you, it's hard to convince your family and friends. It really is. It really is. Uh, but but the, the the first person you have to convince is you, obviously, right? Obviously. If if, and this is why for me, you know, obviously working from first principles, I had to really before I even thought about continuing or not continuing relationships, I had to really think about whether I knew what the hell I was talking about in terms of ethics. I mean, that's what UPB is for me. It's like, I really got to be sure of this stuff. This is what the bomb in the brain stuff is. This is, you know, why I load up the shotgun with statistics and fire it across the internet, because I really have got to be sure. You know, when I say, look, spanking is bad because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I got to be sure. I got to be sure. That doesn't mean perfect, right? Maybe better data, maybe new information, whatever. Maybe it turns out that I was wrong. But with the best available information, I have to be sure so that I can say with as much confidence as reason and evidence can give you, no, this is wrong. This is immoral, and here's why. 
That's what UPB is for me. I was not willing. I found no ethical system that gave me certainty because they all seemed to be rank subjectivism in their core, all the way from Aristotle through to Ayn Rand. And I was not willing to take a stand on sand. <laughs> you can't. Tide comes in and you fall over. So I had to, if I was going to make a stand, then it had to be on rock. It had to be on bedrock. It had to be with the roots of my certainty reaching down to the very center of the world to give me the stability for the storms that come from certainty. Okay. So if you are certain yourself, I think that you just get a kind of authority that comes from being certain. I mean, if someone comes along like the, the, the earth is flat, I don't think that it's, you know, no, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, you're wrong. Oh, I was, um, I was going to say that different experiences, um, you know, I usually am pretty sure about where I stand on most issues, but sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll get into a situation that you haven't been in before and you really have to kind of question. For example, um, I was babysitting for my sister probably a year ago and I, you know, I'm extremely against any kind of violence or, um, spanking is punishment, but I was responsible for her child and, she kept breaking the rules and having people over at night. And uh, oh, she she's a teenager. Up. Oh yes. You know, I w I wasn't sure how to handle the situation. I knew I was responsible for her in a way because I was left as the guardian of her. Um. So, what I ended up doing, she wouldn't clean her room, so I cleaned her room for her and I put her stuff in her mother's room and told her when she finished her chores, she could get it back. Well, it all went downhill pretty quick after there, but I wasn't sure the best way to, to handle a situation. I, I, it seems like using force in a way to, to take your stuff away from her because, um, but I wasn't, you know, if I walked away and, and from the situation, that would be abandoning my responsibilities as well. I'm just not sure, like, what how I could handle a situation like that because I tried talking to her all week and it seemed like nothing was getting through. I felt like I had to, give some kind of example, you know, but I, I'm just not sure what the best way to handle a situation would be without, I don't know. It wasn't any well, kind I would, of, you know, I would talk to your sister, not the child, in my opinion. It was your sister's kid, right? Yes. She was on vacation yeah. at the moment. So well, I, I know, but beforehand, before right? Oh, what yeah. I mean is if you're going to have authority over a child, if you're going to have responsibility for a child or a teenager or whatever, then you have got to figure out how it's all worked up to them. You, you're inheriting a situation at that point, right? You you can't steer a, cla a car after it's off a cliff. I mean, you can try, do some Thelma and Louise stuff, but it's not going to change much <laughs> in terms of the direction, right? So um, I think that's, you, you can't manage effects. So you have to go to first causes, right? So what discipline issues are there? What listen issues are there? And, you know, the three of you would sit down and say, okay, look, okay, so I'm going to, this, you know, you, you know, my, your uncle is going to have some responsibility for you, and so, you know, how, how are we going to work this out? Get commitments ahead of time, get a history of consequences, discipline, punishment, whatever within the family, so you can get a sense of whether this is even possible uh, at this time. I mean, this would all be, I think, in the preparation, not, you know, here's my kid, you now have responsibility, good luck. We'd like, but no history, right? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not sure. saying you don't know the history. But but that would be uh, it's all it's all in the preparation, right? And if you can't get agreement uh, about how things are going to go, then I wouldn't take the responsibility, right? 
Well, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I did. I did try to call her um, during the week before she got back into town, let her know what was going on, and her answer was that well, she'd talk to her about it when she got home. So it kind of left me with making a decision on the spot at that point on what I personally would do. The- right, but I mean, if you have a teenager who is, you know, not listening to an adult, then this is a teenager who's not been listened to as a child. I mean, this to me would be the first place to look, right? If if, yeah. if, if there's no respect for authority, that's because authority has had no respect for the child. If the teenager won't listen to the parent, it's because the parent didn't listen to the teenager. If the parent, if the child is imposing their will unilaterally on the parent as a, as a teenager, then that's because the parent imposed his or her will unilaterally on the child. You know, it all is just a big boomerang. It all is just a big effect of the cause of parenting. And uh, if, if you don't have a clear map of that stuff, then I think trying to impose order, um, you know, it's like suddenly saying, okay, you have her for a week. I want you to start speaking to her in Portuguese, and I want it to work beautifully. No, that, that we wouldn't expect that. And and but the language of authority and consequence and discipline and punishment and all of that. I mean, this is something that if you have, speak a different language, you're simply not going to have any effect. Certainly not in a week, unless there's a, a huge amount of work ahead of time. It, does that make any sense? Uh, see, si, obrigado. <laughs> obrigado. Yeah, I just I just learned that too. That means uh, screw you, you bald bastard. Uh, if I remember rightly, uh, in uh, in Portuguese. Yeah, I mean, thanks, right? So, so I mean, that that would be my, you know, you can't just sort of bungee in and, uh, hey, now she's going right? to, I mean, because these patterns have all been set. This is a language that she speaks, and you can't just, uh, I don't think you can just up and change. You can try, but it's not going to work, right? Well, that makes sense. Well, I don't want to take too many uh, precious minutes away from the other callers, so I will speak with you later. Fine, thank you for the insight, and uh, you have a good weekend. You're welcome. Thank you so much, and you too, my friend. All right, let's do one more before my candle completely gutters out and I <laughs> face plant into a keyboard. All right, uh, so then, Nate, you're up. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Oh, hi, James. It's good to talk to you. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a brief history. I uh, just want to make sure you can still hear me. I'm trying to mess with technical stuff. Yeah, just speak a little slowly. Your connection isn't super great. Okay. Um, <clears throat> just got a quick little brief thing, and uh, it's getting a little bit difficult. So, so I came the whole round. Like I usually see a lot of people to, you know, to actually see your video. I'm sorry, you're you're breaking up a lot. Are you on a cell phone? No, I was on a Skype call. You're on a Skype call. Okay, just try moving the mic a little bit away, and just speak a little more slowly if you could. Okay. How about this? Let's give it a shot. Uh, I came out the same way. You find a lot of people uh, with, you know, first you start off with, uh, mine was a buddy who let me, uh, Atlas Shrugged, right? So I read that, and I was like, wow, that was actually quite powerful, and I felt something with that. Like, man, that does seem like a little bit better way than what you're doing currently, or what I was doing currently. And it led me to, you know, Ron Paul later, you know, the usual thing you find out, and then I... Started watching actually Adam Kokesh, <laughs> and then I saw then I saw you on there, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And so like I started and <clears throat> listened to a lot of stuff, and then after afterwards I felt guilty and I was like, wait a minute, I need to. <laughs> so I set up a monthly monthly subscription because I really was like listening to a lot. I mean like a lot of stuff, and a lot of it has made 
well, pretty much everything made sense to me, minus UPP. Going through the first time through the UPP book, it was like, ah, ah, I'm not intelligent enough right now to understand everything going on. <clears throat> but because of these things, I kind of found myself in a weird place because um, all the revelations made to me, one, for myself, of the things that I had been doing wrong. And... I'm sorry, you said you just cut out one for yourself, the what? Oh, from one understanding, like thinking about myself first, like that's where it's got to start. If I don't understand who I am, how am I going to try and change anything, right? <clears throat> well, not really change anything, but live in a, live better. And unfortunately, I found all this stuff after I've already, you know, I've, I've got married already and I have kids. And what kind of set me off in the path that find uh, what, you know, what truth is uh, when my son told me he was scared. And he was scared of me. He didn't want to tell me that he had an altercation at school and uh, the result and what happened from that. And that, honestly, that was the biggest thing that me is like, why? And this kind of coincided with, with uh, listening to some of your stuff. Whereas after this, I nearly moved to a lot of the panic stuff. And I said, why if I'm responsible for this child and I, and I say that I love him and I do all these things that, that supposedly create that, then why... This is what he say that I, you know, I'm scared of you for some reason, right? And it rang in my mind like, oh, there's something wrong in that situation. <clears throat> and uh, so I've been, but I've, I've taken, I've, I've taken uh, appropriate steps and move forward. I'm, you know, going through therapy for myself one, and to figure out what exactly, where exactly with within my life that stuff happened that made me seem. The way I parented was exactly how pretty much I was when I was a kid. So if no, you have another thing of proof right there is telling you that you know if you yell at when you're a kid, it's most likely going to happen to when you're an adult. But the, only, the difference, which I understand, is I can change that. Right? I have the power to stop that, analyze what I'm doing now that I'm older, and change it. Good for you, man. Good where for the, you. Good for you. Where the child, like you said, children have no choice. You know, you see no, they're completely stuck with this. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> And, and so I see that, and I, you know, doing the best I can to make that. But what I'm actually calling about was, I'm kind of, I guess, I, I was listening earlier, and I'm right at that point you're talking about, almost like in the middle, right? Of whether I either go through this all the way, or I just stop entirely because it's going to be difficult, right? But mm-hmm. then I keep thinking, like, I don't want to stop going to the, I don't want to stop going to that route because if I do, it's going to feel empty now. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. Yeah, yeah. And I'll kind of top this all off like I'm actually in the military currently, right? And I can honestly say I despise it with mm-hmm. a passion, right? Yeah. But I'm, but because of the situation where I'm at, you know, I've got a family that I need to take care of. I'm not saying the end is doing just by the means in this case. But if I was just to ultimately just get out and leave wouldn't, and leave my family in need of resources, right? And that would have to lead to other things if I haven't. Then I might even get a job right away. Or, and I have savings, and we could live up that for a while. But would it just not as be as, I don't know what to describe it, would it just not be training one evil for another evil, almost? Like putting it in a hard way more? I just want to tell you your opinion. I'm not asking for, you know, this, you know what you want is going to happen or what you think I should yeah. do. But just kind of your opinion no, I know. what you think. Look, I mean, I mean that's an incredibly brave question to ask. Uh, I, I get how much has gone into that, and so I really wanted to 
tell you how much I incredibly respect that question. Uh, and also really want to tell you just how incredibly and deeply and warmingly, warmly and affectionately I respect what you're doing with your children. Uh, you know, that you're doing therapy, that you're not going to, or you're making the commitment to not scare them. I mean, uh, it's terrible. I mean, we don't want to see that in no. our children's eyes, right? We don't exactly. want to see that. So, I mean, fuck. <laughs> Fucking A, <laughs> brother. I mean, holy shit. That's incredible. That is fantastic. I mean, if there were a medal made out of half of the sun, I would carve it off and jam it right there on your chest, and you'd go, man, that's hot. <laughs> Take that off. My nipple is falling off. Whatever, right? But, but Jesus, great. Great job. You know, for what it's worth, you know, some idiot on the internet, I'm just, I'm telling you, that is fantastic. That is, that is peacekeeping. <laughs> you know, send people off to Sarajevo and shit like that. That is peacekeeping. That is building a war-free world. So, just, yay. I mean, I, I don't know how to put it across in manly ways. So, good for you. Well, I'm doing no, a little... No. I do, want to tell you, I do want to tell you, though, with that, with that, and I also recognize the fact that the peaceful parenting approach, and it all, from what I'm, how I get it, it all starts with your preparation beforehand. Now, I'm coming at this a little late in the game due to my own fault, right? You know, no one made me do any of this stuff. I mean, I did it willingly. I get that, right? But I can't change it. And uh, the, I've made the commitment, you know, not, because it's morally right not because I need to, because yeah. to not ever, not ever spank again, because I did spank before. Yeah. And I realized that, that had to be one of the causes. I mean, it, it had to be. I mean, if why else would a child who, you know, loves me or says they do, why would they ever say they're scared of me? It just, it, <laughs> there's no other way around that. But, but I find it that's much more peaceful and I enjoy it. I mean, although there's a lot of stuff I, I have to undo with the stuff that I've caused. But. Yeah, I mean, it's weird, you know. I mean, when, when you take that approach, and look, I get I mean, that, that's why, I, that's one of the reasons I'm saying how admirable, right? Because, I mean... You're learning how to swim 20 miles from shore. That's yeah. incredible. I mean, that takes balls. I'm telling you, to 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 do it right the first time is is not so hard. But to turn it around when you're halfway along, that's you know, hey, let's not land this plane. Let's just change the wings. <laughs> this is gonna go great. I mean, that takes some serious commitment, and that's one of the reasons I just want to say, this is incredible what you're doing. So good. I mean. We, you know, just took Isabella on 20 hours of plane rides. She, you know, she sat still for a two, she's three, she sat still for a two hour debate uh, that I had with some, you know, this Brazilian guy. And, you know, she only spent about half of it trying to make me laugh by putting breadstick <laughs> up her nose. Uh, so, you know, good for her. But people yeah. were just like amazed. Like, how is this possible that a three year old is going to sit there uh, for, for that long? And, uh, uh, but, but because, I mean, it, it just, it works really well, and, and you'll discover that more, and, you know, uh, you know, as men, we grow up, uh, you know, I think, I'm not going to put myself in a manly category of you, but, but I think that we grow up thinking, like, to, to apologize is to admit fault, to give other people power over us, uh, and, and to uh, downgrade our status, and, and so on, but I think if you've ever been on the receiving end of a real apology, uh, you, you get that that's a courageous and noble thing to do. And so, you know, to say to your kids, I wasn't a bad guy, but I was really badly informed. You know, uh, this doesn't mean that I'm not responsible, but I don't live in a culture which says, know thyself and spanking is wrong. And so, you know, I, 
uh, when my dad said, that's a door, I didn't question him. Was, oh, okay, I'll use the word door. You know, this is, you know, how I grew up. But I'm getting that it's really bad and it's been really bad for you. It wasn't your fault and I want to change this. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I mean, there's lots of great things that you can say that will bring you really close to your children and will do a lot to heal what is what has happened so i mean just great just great for you i mean that's amazing um as far as the military thing goes i mean obviously i don't know i mean it's a uh, it's a hell of an economy out there right yeah and no no go ahead no i was just gonna say i mean with a with a just to finish off with a kid thing uh, that's one of the first things i did once i realized because my wife and i kind of had a break uh, she went to go hike the grand canyon not you know spring <laughs> she's doing everything like that right but uh, it was kind of a break for us and for me to get me, I guess, get myself centered, for lack of a better word. And I realized, you know, if I'm truly sincere about this, the first thing I do is acknowledge it. And, to the, and most importantly, to the person who involved the most, which would be my older son. We have a younger son, but he's the older son and definitely more, more of a mind to understand. So I did exactly what you said and apologized. And uh, next to him being born, is that's the second greatest time that between he and I where I was able to, you know, just be truthful for the first time, really, ever, and let him know that was was like what you said. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. No, and it's an amazingly powerful thing. And don't you feel like um, like you're you're mixing souls, like your hearts are touching? I mean, there's no non hallmark bullshit way to put it, but it's an it's electric intimacy where you're yeah. really looking at each other and you're really talking human being to human being, soul to soul. I mean, people who don't get that, I mean, I just, I hope that you'll back me up on this, man. Invite them to do it. It's an incredible experience. Uh, and that's where I'm trying to get, you know, with my wife is we, you know, we see different things in different ways, right? And, I, and what I've come down to is that if we're going to have different values, uh, that's fine, right? That's, that's really acceptable. I'm there. Wouldn't, I would never, let's use your arguments, I would never try and change who you are. Right? That's what you want to believe, that's fine. But if we at least can talk about it, then I know there's good things can come from that. But if not, then you know that's another subject entirely. But <clears throat> exactly, I mean the feeling in that relationship, I you can't really explain it until you can't explain it fully with as much as a emotional and mental magnitude as to, to experience it, right? Now, as far as the army thing goes, there's a couple of thoughts that have popped into my head. Mm-hmm. You know, which, which as usual, could be complete nonsense, and you can just toss them overboard if they're of no use to you. But uh, how, how old is your eldest son? Uh, he's four. He's oh, okay, going to okay. be five in July. Right, right, okay. Yeah, he may be a little... If he was older, I'd say you could ask him what, what he thinks. Uh, that would yeah. be possible. Um, how would you feel if he's like 14 and says, Dad, I want to go in the Army? Mm. <laughs> well, I would, uh, I would have praised it as a, me before, before I realized all this other stuff, right? But as of now, ultimately, the first thing I would say, you know what, if that is what you choose to do, that is, you know, that is your choice. I would not, I'm going to say, I don't know, it's, it's difficult. I've never been faced with that question. I, don't, I, I feel like if I said, well, I support your decision, that means I'm lending, uh, <laughs> I'm lending my support and making something that obviously I know is not going to be good. Uh, yeah, if he said, "Look, I want to join the mafia," you wouldn't be like, "Well, you know, if you if you look good in a shiny suit and you know your hair takes gel well and you don't mind uh, leathery shoes that uh, reflect the sun, uh, go for it, right?" I mean, you that would not be right. Like, oh yeah. my God, yeah. what has uh, well, happened to you? Well, what with I would this tell, what I would tell him, I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I would just tell him the truth. You know what I felt about it. Uh, what I you know honestly feel about it, not 
what I was used in the past to cover up what my feelings, which is still difficult today. But uh, especially as I'm still in, I mean, the saying, just, just take for example, <laughs> yesterday or Friday, I was like, uh, you know, what if we didn't, what if we aren't respecting the flag? Was wrong, right? That's a common thing. Well, sorry, what is the one? If that, if, what if that if you just mind, mindlessly respect, you know, patriotism, the flag. What if all that was wrong, right? And a couple of people that were around me looked at me like I just <laughs> spit out nails and said Satan is the greatest, you know? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it was like it was almost another epiphany to me. Like, wow, this really is almost like brainwashing. Well, what if? Okay, so what if your son is fourteen, and you're like, don't do it, don't do the army, and you tell him why, mm -hmm. but you're still in it. Well, that'd be hypocritical, bottom line. But, I mean, yeah, it's just. Well, sorry, just before you go to the judgment, the hypocrite or whatever, I don't know, but, but what would that, how would that feel? If I was still in and he, and he decided to do it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one thing to say, don't do what I did. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to say, don't do what I'm doing. Ah. Uh. He would, uh... If I, if I was him, it almost seemed like a, uh, seemed like a betrayal, almost. Because you know you are his god, right? Yeah. You, you rule the world. You make the thunder. You roll the sun around the sky like a bowling ball. Uh, you are what makes the, the water comes out the tap and the fire come out of the lighter. And you are, you know, physics and chemistry, biology and science and everything to him. And I think that uh, you keep that as long as as long as possible. Yeah. And I, I I think to to build towards those questions, because I don't think we can ever give other people advice that we haven't followed. I mean, we can, but it you know it it's not really going to work. Yeah. So let me and just, so let me make sure I understand what you're saying is like a. If that was situation was to happen, I really couldn't offer him a true opinion of why he shouldn't do it because I was still doing it, correct? Well, no, you could. You, you, I mean, you can do whatever you want, but, what, but it would be very tough for him to process. Because you would be saying, listen, son, this is not a choice of vanilla versus chocolate ice cream. Mm -hmm. Right? This is life and death. Right? This is inserting yourself into a hierarchy which gets people killed. And funds itself through guns pointed at taxpayers or at the unborn through debt and deficit financing. This is not, should I work for Wendy's or McDonald's, right? Yeah. And so to, to give him the true moral nature of the institution when you're still in it would be pretty tough. So you would either have to downplay the moral nature of the institution, mm. which if, I mean, you may not agree with me about this judgment. This would sort of be, I think, this is not what is propagandized, but this is, I think, what would be a good, you know, it's morally more factual. You'd either have to downplay that in order to make it comprehensible to him as to why you were still in it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, well, it's kind of dysfunctional, but, you know, that's okay. I mean, it's, it's a good pension and whatever, right? Uh, you'd have to downplay the moral nature, which would make it harder to for him to understand why you would not want him to go in so strongly. 
Okay, yeah. But wouldn't yeah, or or you'd have to say, well, no, this is the bald moral truth about this hierarchy. I mean, you end up being ordered around by people who are usually less intelligent than you, who are usually not moral, and you know, if they tell you to do the wrong thing, you're toast. Your ass is grass, right? Uh, so, in, in which case, then you have to sort of figure out. He would then have to figure out why you're, why you're doing it, right? When when you could have left. Yeah. Right. I mean, if look, if you're three days from retirement, <laughs> right? If you, you know, like that cliched cop movie, three days from retirement, it's always the guy who gets his jugular shot out, right? But, but if you're three days from retirement, I don't think any sane human being would say, leave and take no money or whatever. I mean, but if you know, because he would say, well, when did you figure this out? And you'd say, I don't know, like 10 years ago or whatever, when you were four. Then how would you uh, how would you reasonably be able to suggest to him or to model to him or to ask him to do that which is right over that which is familiar? I mean, that's just, that just truth, plain and simple right there. <laughs> that's just what it would be. And, you know, no, I'm not just like, you know, I'm only 27, so I'm kind of younger enough that, you know, I can really do, I, I'm, maybe I already know the answer to what I need to do, and just getting up enough balls or courage to do it, uh, and a possibly... Well, this you know, is a lengthy decision, too, right? I mean, this yeah. is not, you know, right? this is a big, big-ass decision. It's a big, lengthy, complicated decision. I mean, you've got a wife, you've got two kids, you have family, you have, you know, maybe a family history in, in the, 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 the police or the military. I mean, this is a big, a big deal. Right, so this is obviously nothing, nothing to rush. This is, in my opinion, like when I have these kinds of decisions to make, it's, it, 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 it simmer. You think about it. You, you, you simmer on it. You know, it's like one of these slow cooking southern dishes. You know, <laughs> the slow cooking southern deep dish decision making pot yeah. or something. Right. Yeah, you, definitely. You gotta. It, 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 and it's nothing. You, you can't make the decision in isolation. But, I try to preserve the rational right to give good advice, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and the, the way to give good advice is, is to try it, right? <laughs> try, it, try it on yourself. <laughs> try it yourself first, right? Yeah. You can't review a car you've never driven. And, and so, and you, I, I mean, like all parents, you want your son not to bow to the pragmatism of the moment or, or to peer pressure or to, you know, whatever it is seems why we put our good deeds aside, why we put our ethics and integrity aside. You don't want him to do that because you know, deep down, I think you know, that, you know, the high road is the hard road is the right road. Yep. You know, it, it's hell. Uh, it, it feels like a never-ending conveyor belt of shit sandwiches sometimes. <laughs> but, you, you know, it, it leads to... It leads to a good place. I mean, look what happened to the conversation you had with your son and your commitment to not aggress. And I mean, that's fantastic. And look where your son was heading, where he's getting into fights and, and yeah. all that, right? So yeah. you, you know it's hell, but it, it, there's heaven on, on the other side, you know, to put it in a completely <laughs> cliched way. But, but it's not something that, I mean, in my opinion, it's not a decision. You're, you're in a family. You're a father. You're a husband. And you've got 
you know, the, the timing, even if you decide you want to go, the timing is, 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 is very important. And, you know, you got a plan to have a, you know, you don't just, I want out of this plane and jump in, <laughs> you know, get a parachute, get a, you know, get a map, get a compass, get some rations, you know, like figure out where you're going to go, figure out how you're going to transition. Maybe there's some education you can take in the army that's really going to help you where you want to go. I mean, this is, again, this would be my way of approaching it. Like I, I, I must've thought for like, I don't know, six or, or ten months before leaving my uh, my software career uh, and doing this crazy stuff full-time. It takes a line. This was in deep conversation with with uh, friends and, and family and all that. So so it's, it's a big, big decision. Um, I, I think that you want to keep that glow of respect in your son's eyes as long as humanly possible and maybe forever. And you know that the only way to really do that is is to do what what the right thing is by the values that you're going to teach him, and then you will have the annoying right to tell him to take the high road <laughs> forever, <laughs> and he will roll his eyes and he will hate you for it sometimes. But you will have the credibility of experience. But if you tell him to do something that you're not, if you tell him not to do something that you're still doing, I think it kind of short circuits, and I think it would be kind of heartbreaking from there on. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, and, You're welcome. Like I said, uh, thank you for all that you that you do. And I, I listen to a lot of people talk on your show, and uh, it's quite amazing. There's a lot of other people, and not surprisingly, uh, there's a lot of people in my same situation, not exactly the same, but in the same occupation, that are oh, yeah. doing a lot of the same thing. And uh, oh, I think you guys. I mean, you guys in the army a lot more than than civilians in many ways. I mean, you know, you guys are up against it. I mean, you're, you're deep in it. I mean, the power of the state is, is not subtle where you guys are, it, you know, both inside and outside the barracks, right? Facing out, facing in. Mm -hmm. uh, you got a hierarchy and, you, you know, trickling down and you got bombs dropping down. So it's, uh, you know, it's very real to you guys in a way that I think is pretty abstract to, you know, the <laughs> reality TV dead-addicted overeating majority of, of people. So I think that you guys are very much the cutting edge of uh, understanding the society that, that we live in. And I just, you know, really wanted to express again, you know, goosebumps of admiration for everything that you're doing. Thank you for that. And that uh, makes you feel good. And I appreciate that. I, but also, I, and I will end with the statement that most people who call me from, from the army never want to hear, but, but I will say it anyway. I will say the statement, you know what I'm going to say. I'll say the statement, the statement that nobody from the army ever wants to hear, but hopefully you'll understand what I mean when I say, I truly do thank you for your service. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Take care, man. Okay, bye. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, so much. Uh, great, great calls, as always. Uh, you guys blow my mind. And I feel incredibly humbled. I mean, this is like standing before a supernova of uh, human curiosity, intelligence, wisdom, and integrity. And I, you know, if, if I could use the word blessed, I, I would use it. I feel incredibly honored uh, and privileged to uh, be, be in these conversations. And for everyone who supports what is going on, uh, I thank you. I hope that um, uh, the <laughs> people in Brazil, uh, thank you. Uh, I think that we had great conversations down there with a wide variety of people. And I felt very energized by the enthusiasm, intelligence, and professionalism of the Brazilian libertarians. Ah, uh, they are truly astounding. And I tried to scrape as many skin cells, uh, and the massive cloning experiment will, of course, be underway. 
And so, uh, yeah, if you want to support, of course, you can drop past the website, sign up for subscriptions or donations, and I will continue plowing on. We are home for a couple of days, and we plow on to the Porcupine Freedom Festival if you want to check it out at Porkfest, P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T dot com. I hope that you will. And also go to Libertopia.org to see where I'll be speaking later and Vancouver. I'll be speaking in June, I think it is, so check that out. Uh, just go to the homepage of freedomainradio.com. You can scroll down, and there's a whole list of sort of the summer stuff that's going on. I hope to meet you. Uh, I, you know, I, I spend hours chatting with people at these events. It is a real pleasure. I bought nachos and coffee for <laughs> for a whole bunch of people who wanted to chat. Um, at uh, in Texas, I really enjoyed the debates with the people. It was very stimulating, very enjoyable. Everything from economics to parenting to philosophy to family uh, it was a real pleasure and you know had a number of dinners and spent a whole day with a bunch of people who were interested in the show uh, um in sao paulo and uh, it's it's just a real pleasure so if you come out you know i mean i'm not just a fly-by bungee talking guy who then jumps on a plane you know i'm there for the duration i'm there for the conversation and it is a real pleasure and privilege to meet you if you can make it so thanks everyone so much have yourselves a wonderful week and it's great to be back i missed you guys so much <laughs>